1: Beloved, the fruit of the gospel comes as individuals commit themselves in faith to that truth. And it's only when we commit ourselves to that truth is fruit actually born in our lives and brought forth. We see our our lives being submitted to Christ, obedience to the gospel. God then sends the Holy Spirit. He comes within us. He seals us for redemption. He empowers us for the work of His kingdom. And guys, it's that empowering work of the Spirit that was so quickly evident to the people there in
0: Thessalonica. As believers in Christ, we've been commissioned as ambassadors of the gospel to share our faith with the world. While some of us may be intimidated by the thought of this, One of the most powerful ways to do so is by simply living a gospel-centered life. In today's message, Pastor David teaches us how God uses the fruits of the Spirit in our lives to reach out to others. In our study, we learn that by simply living lives in pursuit of righteousness and peace, others are bound to be drawn to the gospel. Now here's Pastor David in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 with part 2 of today's message, Living the Life.
1: It's not just the sovereign work of God in election. You and I need to choose. That's why the word says, whosoever will may come. Choose you this day whom you'll serve. And again, the word tells us we have a responsibility in the midst of how those things come together, man It's a God thing. It's not a man thing, okay? One writer in his commentary, a fellow by the name of Thomas Constable, he writes about it. He says the difficulty in putting divine election and human responsibility together is understanding how both can be true. That both are true is taught within the Bible. How both can be true is apparently incomprehensible to finite human minds. No one has ever been able to explain it satisfactorily. This task transcends mortal powers. And you you fully understand. When you start looking at both of them. you think, man, how, how does that all work? That's when we come and say, you know what? It's a God thing. And if I can explain God, guess what? I brought God down as small as I am. So... It is the mysteries of God, and we rest in that. Again, Paul simply states it, and so we're gonna leave these deep waters. We're gonna go on with the rest of the study. Look at verse five, if you would. Paul writes, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. Now, he assures the, the Thessalonians here that the message of the gospel didn't just simply come as some mental exercise. It wasn't just a a classroom lecture. Hey, come on in and we'll we'll share these things with you. Okay, have a great day, go on. But there was truly the spiritual significance of it that had to work and move within their lives, and that's done by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul didn't bring some unproved, dead orthodoxy to the church. He brought to them, the message of the hope of the gospel empowered by the work of the Holy Spirit. Paul had experienced that truth himself. Silas or Silvanus and Timothy, they had experienced that truth themselves. And not only did they proclaim it to the people there in Thessalonica, but they lived the life before the people of Thessalonica. The men with Paul, They had been exposed to the truth and the power of regeneration and redemption. And because of that, their lives were changed. The people of Thessalonica saw that. They heard the message and they realized, man, what they are saying is evident before us. Because the people of Thessalonica saw the authenticity, they saw the confirmation of the message that they were giving. And Luke tells us, in reference to the time of the ministry there in Thessalonica, again, as I shared earlier, some of them were persuaded. A great multitude of the devout Greeks, not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. Why? Because they heard it but they also saw it living in the lives of the men that were declaring it before them. Beloved, the fruit of the gospel comes as individuals commit themselves in faith to that truth. And it's only when we commit ourselves to that truth is fruit actually born in our lives and brought forth. We see our lives being submitted to Christ obedience to the gospel. God then sends the Holy Spirit. He comes within us. He seals us for redemption. He empowers us for the work of his kingdom. And guys, it's that empowering work of the Spirit that was so quickly evident to the people there in Thessalonica. Even as as Paul writes to them there in verse 6, he says, And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. Paul and that ministry team with him, they'd been examples to the Thessalonians. The people saw in their lives the reality of the faith. It wasn't just religion, It was a call to a personal relationship with the risen son of God. And beloved, that's what God calls us to today. Not just religion, not just coming in and having meeting together and enjoying the fellowship together, but a true personal relationship with Christ. You come here to this place to be equipped, to be encouraged, to be challenged by the corporate teaching of the word. But beloved, if this is all you have, then you're not having an effect on the world out there. I can guarantee you that. If all you have is Sunday go-to-meeting time, as they used to say, then you don't have much at all. And you're not impacting the world in the way that God has called us. You're not living the life. Because there was no inconsistency between the message that they preached and the lives that these men lived before them, the Thessalonians, they were willing to stand against all the persecution that was gonna come their way. They persecuted Paul, Silas, and Timothy. As I shared with you before, the church was going to be under persecution, and Paul understood that. As a matter of fact, we read in the book of Acts how Paul had sent Timothy back to Thessalonica for a short period of time. Timothy came back and gave him report, and that's why this letter is even written. They had taken their stand, and because the church in Thessalonica took their stand, because they were living the life The world around them began to take notice. Beloved, when the church, when you and I fulfill our responsibility of living our lives out in the Christian faith, in every arena of our life, the world will take notice. The world will take notice because you and I will be a peculiar people. We'll be a different kind of people. There are way too many secret agent Christians. There's way too many Christians that are wearing the camouflage of this world. We ought to be those that the world sees us and they see within us a righteousness, a holiness, a steadfastness, a love, an abundance of grace and mercy. They see within us a peculiar people. It was only a short period of time, just a, a few weeks or a few months that the church of Thessalonica from the time that they heard the gospel until the time that Paul is writing this letter while he's there in Corinth. And yet they were becoming known in their city and the cities that surrounded them in the province that, uh, around them. They were becoming known as the real deal. Not just another fad, not just another cultic religion the believers in Thessalonica were living the life. They were living the life as Christ followers, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and the people around them saw the reality of Jesus in their lives, and it was making an impact for the kingdom of God. Look what Paul writes here, beginning verse eight. He says, for from you, you, the church there in Thessalonica, for from you, the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in that whole area, that whole province of of Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we don't need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you And how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Paul says, I don't need to brag on you guys. Everybody around me is bragging on you guys. I see people and I say, hey, I heard about what God is doing up in Thessalonica. Man, that church is on fire. Paul didn't need to prime that pump. He didn't need to say anything to anybody because the testimony of that church was well known throughout the area. Because of the lives and the testimony of the Thessalonians was so powerful, it gave credence to the truth of the gospel message. Because their lives were living the truth, it gave credence to the reality of that truth. The world saw that truth being lived out within the church. Guys, when you and I are real in our commitment, it's a demonstration of the reality of the message that we proclaim. If it's not real in our lives, the world hears the message and just kind of, yeah, whatever, and moves on because they don't see the change. The unfortunate reality is today in our culture, by and large, church isn't making an impact in our culture because we're too comfortable in our culture. We're too much at ease in our culture, and we've blended in with our culture way too much. Instead of taking the stands in love and in mercy Love and mercy has got to be there. We can't be sitting there with our Bible, you know, thumping and hitting people. No, that doesn't change anyone's heart. The old signs of saying turn or burn, you know, that just doesn't get it. But when you and I live the life, our world is going to see the difference when we live out our lives in the truth of the gospel, we are truly and fully testifying to the world of the reality of God and the fullness of the hope that is found in Christ. When you and I are halfway and partway and playing and sort of and kind of, then that's the way the world looks at the reality of God. It's just something they believe in. It's just a fantasy of their own mind because they don't see the power of God working within our lives. When the world see, sees lives that are transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, then they see then the power of redemption and they lose that argument against the doctrine of regeneration. Regeneration, ah, he's no, give, give him six months, he'll be back doing what he was before. Oh, I'll give, her, give her two or three weeks, she'll be the same old gal that she was. You see, the world doesn't want to believe in regeneration. It's funny how they'll believe in reincarnation long before they'll believe in regeneration. But beloved, it's because our lives have been changed and we're now living our lives for the glory of Christ that they'll lose that argument because there really and truly is power, and the regeneration work of God within our lives, making us new. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. When the church lives their lives for Jesus, we also have an anticipation that soon and very soon he's coming again. When our minds and our hearts are on the Lord, man, we're, we're looking for his coming. We Oh, any day now, Lord, come. But you know what? When we're not living our lives for the Lord, we're saying, don't come today, Lord. Don't, don't come today. Give, give, me, give me another week to kind of uh, get my life, uh, okay, another six months maybe, I'll get my life together. But you know what? When we're living the life, our hearts and minds are saying, oh, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. There's an anticipation within our lives. Man, any day the trumpet will sound, The dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain, man, will be caught up in the air to be with the Lord. That's the anticipation that we ought to be living because our lives, man, we're we're, we're pressing into heaven every moment of our lives. That's how it should be. Paul tells the church there in Thessalonica down in verse 10, the last verse of this chapter. He says, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. One of the interesting things, that I, I think I saw for the first time in this study of Thessalonians. I've, I've studied Thessalonians before. I've, I've preached through Thessalonians before. But really for the first time, I'll just let you know. Suddenly I saw in every chapter in the book of Thessalonians, it talks about the coming of the Lord. In every chapter, there's, there's, there's a mindset that Paul says, man, you guys are living the life And man, the Lord's coming soon, be prepared. Now we know that there was an issue with the church there in in Thessalonica that some had said that uh, either the Lord had already come and they missed it or there was the deal that man, we are waiting for the Lord to come back very soon but my, my brother has passed away and he's gonna miss the second coming of the Lord. And that's why Paul says, hey, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning those that have fallen asleep. Man, he's gonna take those first. But in every chapter, he encourages them, he speaks to them, he blesses them with the reality of the second coming of the Lord or with the rapture of the church. Look what he says here. Here in in, in chapter one, verse 10, we just read it. We wait for the son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now, if you've got your Bibles, write a little note right next to that verse. Put right next to that two colon 19 and 20, 19-20. And that'll get you from that verse to chapter two, verses 19 and 20. Let's look there. Paul writes there in chapter two. He says, for what is our hope or or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? they are anticipating his coming right after that verse, write in your Bible there, verse 3, or chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. As I shared with you last week, if your neighbor doesn't want to write in their Bible, lean over and write it there for them, okay? They'll bless you later, okay? They, they, well, hopefully they will. Okay. So right next to that, chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. And Paul writes there in chapter three. He says, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, oh, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of his saints. The Lord is coming, and all of his saints that have gone before us are coming with him. Right next to that verse, put on there, 413. And for me, I use a little, uh, just a little F after that. So verse 13 and following, okay? Because it's much more than one and two. It's the rest of that chapter. Chapter four, verse 13 and following. That's where he says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those that have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. And then after that whole section there, you can write chapter five, verses one and two. And in chapter five, verse one and two, we read these words. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. The Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. Are you living the life with the anticipation, with the expectation and with the hope that says, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus, even now? Or are there so many things in this world that you're still holding on to, that you're still grasping, saying, oh Lord, yes, I, I look forward to your coming, but don't come yet. Is it because your life's not ready? Is it because your spirit's not ready? I, I share the story of our son. We, when he was about 16 we were talking about man the the, the rapture of the church the coming of the lord and we we're talking about man that it could happen any day man the trumpet could sound and man would be out of here we we're just so excited about that and he had 16 years of old, uh, of age he gets real serious and he says i hope he doesn't come yet we said well why not son he says well i'd like to get married first As great and glorious as marriage is, amen? Whoa, what happened with that one? Let's try that again. As great and glorious as marriage is, amen? Amen, all right, okay. Being with the Lord is so far beyond it. Cannot be compared. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But Lord, before you come, are they living the life? Do they know you? My question to you this morning is, are you living the life? Or have you even come to life? You see, the word tells us that we, before we come to faith in Christ, we are literally dead. We're dead in our trespasses and sins, separated from God for all eternity if if we remain in In that condition to our death or until the Lord comes. But He offers to us life, everlasting life, eternal in His presence when we come by faith to receive the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf. Because of our sin, payment had to be paid. Because of our sin, There was that separation from God, and the only way that that separation could ever be mended, not by our abilities, not by our strength, not by our good deeds, but a sacrifice had to be made. And the only sacrifice that was complete enough to cover the sin of the world was the death of his son. And God loved the world so much that he sent his son. He sent his son to be the what the word says, the propitiation, the the fullness, the completeness of the payment of our sin. And it's when you and I come by faith to receive that payment and surrender our lives to God and say, Lord, I don't want to be in charge of my life. I want you to take control. I surrender my life to you. It's only when you and I come to that point, not by being religious, not by going through ceremony or ritual, not because we've been baptized or somebody prayed over us. It's because we've made a personal decision within our lives. I need to come to Christ. I need to receive the forgiveness that God offers and accept the gift of salvation that comes through faith in that completed work. If you've not done that today, I encourage you, why don't you take that opportunity today to allow the Lord to take you and give you life, life eternal, life everlasting. That's what he offers. And for you today who know him, let today be a continuation or maybe the very strength of the beginning of living the life. Not with an umbrella drink sitting on the beach. Although, okay, sometimes maybe, but we're talking about is living the life that glorifies god in all things amen
0: as followers of jesus we will face persecution in this world there are many who refuse to acknowledge the truth and perfect love of the savior and thanks to the influence of the enemy they'll try to thwart our attempts to share the gospel this isn't a new development however persecution of jesus's disciples has happened since the beginning but that doesn't mean we have to give in to the taunts and misleading teaching We can be like the Thessalonian church of which we've been studying with Pastor David, becoming examples to those around us who believe. You never know who may be watching and who might come to know Jesus through your perseverance. We are so glad you tuned in today to Pastor David's teaching on the open word, and we pray you've been encouraged. Would you like to hear more messages from this series in the book of 1 Thessalonians? Pastor
1: David's here to tell you how. Hey, thanks, Chris. All the messages you enjoyed here on The Open Word are available on our website. Just visit theopenword.com and click on Teachings. You can scroll through our archive and listen online, or you can download the teachings to take with you on the go. I've even provided my notes for most of the teachings, so you can read right along. You might see something new your ears may have missed. Feel free to share any of my teachings if you feel it would benefit a friend or a family member. That website, one more time, is theopenword.com
0: Thanks Pastor David and thank you for joining us today for The Open Word.